Hello everyone and welcome to the second edition of this season's Luton Town Supporters Trust podcast. I'm Kev. As ever, I've got the regulars James and Tony with us. And we've also got uh, Luton fan and former Trust chairman Reg Harper with us. Reg, how are you doing? Not bad, mate. Not bad at all. Good stuff. Thanks for joining us. Coming up in this episode, we will discuss what's going on out and about in the community. Uh, We'll discuss what we've seen of the championship season so far. There's a special exclusive interview with Luton town boss graham jones tony and myself went down to the training ground earlier on and caught up with the man behind the tactics and the master plans and then we'll finish off with the latest goings on at the trust so chaps let's start with the community and first of all i guess james i've got to start introducing you as luton's newest journalist because you're back on the press scene uh, for a reason now you've got your own website Tell us what it is, the web address, and uh, what we can expect to find on it. We are not worthy. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, it's called the Lutonian. Uh, you can find out the Lutonian dot com. Nice and easy. There you go. Um, it's uh, about anything and everything to do with Luton that isn't the news. So no news, sport and culture, all the good stuff that you like doing in your spare time. So once all the the hard boring stuff is out of the way football music entertainment film culture anything you like and it went live on the day of the Middlesbrough game didn't it you got it up and running for the season to start um, regular match reports on there uh, pieces from the press conferences opinion pieces just to do with the hatters yeah, you're on it as well aren't you You've done the well there was, there was one article that I'm sure got more views than uh, any other but um, <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely, and also, uh, like you say, you're, you're deeply into the music scene in Luton as well. Yeah, all of that's going to be covered on there from now right the way through the course of the year and beyond. Yeah, well, I also do a radio show called Transmission, which is on Diverse FM, which um, Hats fans should know about now because there's a link up between the radio show and the match day playlist at Kenworth Road. Um, I don't have to do any of the hard work on that. Um, my co-presenter, Matt Crawley, does the pressing of the buttons on that, but uh, it's all the great music that we play every Monday night, 8 to 10, um, all the great Indian alternative new release music. So it's we find the best stuff each week and, and play it. And just on that, I'm pretty sure I saw on your website that there's a gig coming up in relation to that. There is, yeah. <laughs> you're, you're very well researched on this, no? Yeah. Um, Professional on this side, mate. Yeah. So on the music side of things, there's lots of things happening in the town. We've linked up with a, a Luton's only music and arts fanzine called Vandalism Begins at Home to put on a, a gig of loads of great new up and coming bands. Uh, that's on October the 19th, and it's after a Luton game, so it's only six quid. So come along and celebrate. Three points and a bit of a sing song sounds yeah. like the ideal Saturday, really, doesn't it? Um, Best of luck with that venture. I know it'll be fantastic because I know you've mentioned it to me uh, a few times over the last few Thank months you, and Jack, stuff. Well. And um, that, that link again, uh, the Lutonian.com. Uh, we try and retweet and um, post as many of the links on our social media feeds as a thank you for um, what you've done with the podcast and everything over the last couple of years. And I'm sure it'll be a real success. I should also mention that I do a extra podcast for that as well it's called the Luton Press Pass which is a a weekly look at the reaction and the build up to each game Um, 
Yeah. And Check the first one of those was after Cardiff, wasn't it? And I, I gave that a listen. Mm-hmm. Uh, very good listen. I'd like to think not quite as good as the one that you're involved in here, but um, time will tell and I'm sure the listeners will uh, have their say. It's a bit of a hybrid thing because they've got... Simon Pitt's done it quite a lot it's an extension to the um, I follow commentary isn't it yeah so Darren Silton was on the one that I listened to as well that's right just, I'm just um, since I sit with all the guys in the media areas and press boxes I'm just um, drilling them for information afterwards and getting their reactions it's just a little uh, something extra as opposed to the last 18 months where you just sat there and ate cake yes <laughs> <laughs> I'm earning my cake now Indeed, indeed you are. Um, Tony, let's move on to, um, well, not so much the stadium stuff because it's quite quiet on that front at the moment, albeit uh, the other side, they've released a letter, haven't they, which suggests that they're not going to this, let this one lie down. Um, unfortunately, no, it doesn't look like that. Or get things correct. Exactly, yeah. <laughs> well, they've not um, done that from, no. from the start, so we can't expect that now. I just find it very hard to fathom, very hard to believe that, you know, you lost, just accept it. You know, logic won out in the end and, and, and the town is going to get what it desperately needs. It's just purely delaying tactics, that's all. Um, you know, they, they need to worry more about their sinking share price, you know, than uh, trying to block any progress in the town. You know, give it up. For God's sake, see reason, see sense. Delaying tactics, but they could actually have, you know, a lengthier effect yet again, which nobody wants really. This has gone on long enough. Well, length and cost, don't forget. Um, some sort of rudimentary sums uh, other people who are better on balance sheets than I have done reckon it's going to cost the taxpayer so 60 grand just to just to see it through to maybe just the court stage if it gets that far it could get kicked out it, it's crazy they must realise how unpopular they are in it and this is only going to make it worse for them a 60 grand's worth of taxpayer money though so your money and my money not yeah. all of it we're not, we're not going 50-50 on it but I think I might work out how much I, I, you know, I'll be paying to it and my family will be paying to it and I might go down to CNR and give them an invoice for it mm. It's it's getting beyond a joke. It really is. It's 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 just completely ridiculous. I mean, I'm getting on a bit now, and I actually want to be able to sit in that stadium and, and watch football, you know, before I end up six foot under. But it going like that, I can't see that happening. But come on, let's be optimistic and positive. Um, you know, we, we will get there. We'll yeah, get there. we will. But if you want to put it in realistic terms, actually, something that um, people might understand, because obviously Luton have started in the championship and they've not won a game yet. We'll talk about that. But um, they've had to get players in on free. Uh, I know they've broken the record for Simon Sluger, but they've got eight or nine of them in on a free. They're competing with clubs who have a budget which is probably far in excess of Luton's just for maybe half of their squad. And all of this probably could have been helped or eased a little bit if it wasn't for the two to three years that of delaying tactics that have happened already that spades could have been in the ground. Maybe the thing would have been built and Luton would have a bit more money in pocket to compete. That's not to say they're not going to compete anyway. I think they will um, once they get the first win, but um, they'll be on a better financial footing 
without these delays. That's 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 the sum of it, really. Yeah, Rachel, let's bring you in on this. I mean, what are your views on on that situation? And just like James says, really, we could have been so much further down the line had everyone seen the bigger picture. Well, I think if I was a shareholder, I'd be asking a question: What he's doing about improving his service provisions within the mail? Because if you go in the mail, it's pretty much the same thing all the way down, but maybe different companies and some are doing it cheaper. And you go in the market, and 65% of the market stalls are empty. And then out of the other 45%, half of them are having closing down sales. Mm. It's just ridiculous. The uh, place is, is a, it's becoming a ghost town. I mean, I, I don't go in the mound that often, but when I do, it's almost, you know, you walk through and it's almost, oh, another one's gone today. Mm. It's just going to be our club shop left in soon, yeah. isn't it? If, if indeed that stays. I, I, I think the actual Luton Indoor Market is owned by a different company, but that's the knock-on effect, I think, because people yeah. won't go there. No, I think the market's owned by the council, isn't it? Yeah, it's owned by... Yeah, but if they're struggling, yeah. then that's because people don't want to go there because it's not an attractive proposition, and that's the whole thing, because it's attached to them all, and so it's seen as the same thing. So there's another set of people who are losing out because of their inaction, really. Is, is, is that, do you think, because CNR are charging such exorbitant rent? You know, they don't seem to be doing anything to help these retailers. There, there was one company, um, I think it was the post office, and I was informed that they were moving from where they originated to where uh, Woolworths used to be, and they were going to use part of Woolworths, £5,000 a week cheaper rent than the smaller area that they had up the side bit. It's ridiculous. Mm. And they're now in the white switch though. Well, there you go. Office. It's just, it's crazy. So they, they, they argue, CNR argue that, that the mound is used by X amount of people every day. And I wouldn't argue that. But I mean, one but one, what I would argue sorry. is the services within side aren't used because people use the mound to walk straight through as a quick route up to the train station. But they, they, yeah, they, they, they were also one of their big things was protecting jobs in the Arndale. Mm. You know, people losing their jobs. And to be honest with you, looking at it, I think well, they're one of the main causes of people losing their jobs there. Not the coming uh, regeneration. I, 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 what they're doing, like, people who actually work in the mall and you know, work at these stores, they must be thinking, oh, when am I going to lose my job? When am I going to lose my job? So this is our latest reminder, really, to CNR, to get your own house in order before, you know, you worry about taking on the people of Luton and, and, and the will of uh, of everyone in the in the town. Get the lifts and the escalators working properly. <laughs> um, <laughs> let's finish this community section with um, something even closer to home and that is the Luton Town ladies team James you ran a piece on your website last week about uh, their call for help with fundraising Um, it's a just giving page set up where they need £5,000 to play the season which started last Sunday uh, when they won 3-2 against the side from Peterborough well done girls on that Um, you can give us the latest on that really yeah so they're after um, £5,000 to help with travel and training costs because that is the bulk of what it costs them. They're not 
they're not professional athletes in any way. In fact, they have to pay to play. Um, they have to get themselves to games and and training pitches are a big cost. They train up at um, Farley Hill, the Stockwood Park Academy School, um, and they did play at Stockwood Park, the athletics track in the middle. But um, as most hatters probably know, the, the club have let them come over to play their home games at the Brace on the 3G facility there. So they've got wonderful playing surface and facilities to play their games now. Um, they've still got some training costs and their development side still does play at Stockwood Park at the athletics track. So they're after some sponsorship uh, to ease that a little bit. I spoke to Nikki Baker, the Luton Town ladies manager today, and she said most of the first team have now got sponsorship, which is good. Um, so that should help. Um, they've got reserve team, development team as well. They want to try and uh, build up the women and girls game, which is, yeah, why shouldn't you? Because it's it's growing nationally and worldwide, as you would have seen at the World Cup. Yeah, yeah, England finishing third at the World Cup. Um, so, yeah, I just urge you to go over to their Just Giving page. You can find that on my website on lutonian.com or you can find it on the Luton Ladies Twitter page. I think what we'll do, we'll put a link to the Just Giving page in the bio for this yeah. um, podcast as well. Yeah. So wherever you, yeah, pick the, idea, wherever you pick the podcast up from, you'll see the Just Giving link there I think, as well. I think uh, as of recording this, they're sort of around the quarter way mark, maybe 30, 30% actually. I think I checked earlier, they're just over the £1,500 mark, aren't they? Yeah, so, yeah, so, 30%. so anything you can do to help them would be fantastic for them really yeah because they are part of the football club yeah um, they don't probably get as much coverage as maybe even we're guilty of not giving them because yeah. you know they are they are heavily affiliated uh, they have their page in the program which is pretty much all the publicity they get isn't it so um, well i'm going to give them some more now um having spoken to, to the, the girls and um you know that, that's that's why the website's called the Lutonian to try and boost up things in in Luton where I live so well they are they are part of the community of the town absolutely and, and they should be celebrated as as, as well so I mean, any any help that we can give to them would, would be great and anybody out there that can help them it, it would be absolutely fantastic yeah absolutely as I say um they're just giving page there will be a link to that on our bio um so we uh, if you can't click on that uh, for iTunes or any other reason, just copy the link and put it into your um, search engine, and you'll get um, you'll get that. So we wish the girls all the best of luck, uh, both with their fundraising efforts and their upcoming fixtures. So they're at home this week, actually, as well. They're playing at the Brace against Royston on Sunday. And that's a two p.m. kickoff. Yeah, so it? get down there and support them because um, it's a couple of quid to get in. Obviously, that will, will help them out. So um, yeah, get down there and support them. And that's their first home game of the season, isn't it? So it is. Yeah, and they're hundred percent the minute because they they scored in the last minute against Peterborough to uh, to win that game Dion Manning hat trick wonderful well done Dion let's switch our attention to the men uh, three three and a half weeks ago we all gathered around this table we were quite optimistic about what we were going to see I don't think any of us really expected quite the level of opposition that we've seen in those games because um, James I'll start with you first of all We've played three recent Premier League sides and one who went top of the table when they beat us on Tuesday night. The first thing you'd say is we've been competitive against all of them, but has the standard surprised you? Because bearing in mind we've not been at this level for a dozen years. 
Uh, no, no, the, the, it is the fifth most richest league in the world. I think a couple of stats from a couple of years ago probably still is the amount of money that's sloshing around. Um, and, and like you say, the, the teams and the players that they've got. Uh, that speaks for himself really just look at Cardiff really Luton had the Vassell signing in the bag until Cardiff popped up and chucked four million at him so um, West Brom chucked four million at 30 year old Charlie Austin um, Luton can't do that if they were going to chuck four million at anyone it would have to be somebody sort of just hitting the prime or in it or rather than an injury prone fella like although he can score goals clearly hit the post against Luton um, that's just not Luton's model at the moment so uh, no I've not been surprised by the standard I've been um, pleased with what Luton have done really uh, you know people might lose their heads about the the results but they were a couple of seconds away from a, a very good point at Cardiff uh, they were that one mistake from Simon Sluger and I think that's probably his only real big mistake that's cost cost points directly against Middlesbrough he's been he was fantastic against Sheffield Wednesday actually um, and anyone blaming him for the goal has not watched the whole passage of that play really because they've got enough chance to try and get that ball away um, West Brom that was the best 45 minutes of football they've played this season they played them off the park and I'm unlucky not to get something there you know, three minutes of madness at the beginning of the, first, the second half, which is a bit of a pattern which they're going to have to try and eradicate. But I spoke to Graham after the Sheffield Wednesday game, and they are trying to work on that, doing different things. Um, the, thing he, the thing he said to us was, you know, half-time warm-ups and caffeine shots. So. I needed a caffeine shot at half-time on <laughs> yeah. Tuesday night, I must yeah. admit. I'm going to try anything, just, uh, just trying to get them up to the level, because half of the lads, they haven't played there. Or... They've, or some of them that have experience, they have not played them played there for a while. Uh, that's why he's brought in, you know, eight, nine players that do have championship experience to try and give them that. But you know, I totally agree with what he said. They're getting closer and closer to to that, and they just need to eradicate the the small mistakes, which you, you, we knew that would happen if if they gave opportunities, then clubs would the teams in this division will take them or maybe it's just the teams at the top of the division because that's what Luton are playing at the moment once you get down further down then maybe you get a bit more leeway on these things I always remember don't you do you remember when uh, we had Macca on this podcast um, last season um, Adam McCormack and he said that Luton would be able to compete with anyone in that division outside of the playoff positions and that's sort of how it's playing out so because of that sort of comment I wasn't really surprised uh, it's a bit disappointing the way the the defeats have come but there's plenty more to be positive I think Reg we're used to winning football matches at the minute obviously um, 18 months without losing a home game uh, that ended last Saturday against West Brom but what's your take on the first four games are you concerned with anything that you've seen are you happy with what you've seen how how, how would you reflect on those first four games I'm more than happy with um, the level of football I've seen from Luton um, I'm not worried about anything um, we're four games in we've probably played four of the best teams in the championship so far Um and we've only lost by narrow margins. We haven't been totally outclassed by anybody. In fact, a lot of the games, it's been the other way. 
I mean, particularly like we say the West Brom game, that's probably the best 45 minutes of football that Luton Town have played in 25 years. Um, it's a learning curve um, for a lot of them, yes, a lot of them have played at this level before, but they haven't played together as a team. And that makes a big difference. You can have 50 people that played in the championship for five years and never played football together. And that's the difference. You've got to find a team. And I think Mr. Jones is still looking around to get his, his team sorted out. Who's he going to play where? Who he's going to get 60 minutes out of? Who he knows he's only going to get 30 minutes out of? Who he knows he's got to keep his eye on because he could get uh, an injury pretty quick. Things like that. But what I'm more excited about than anything at Luton Town at the moment is the fact that we've got Graham Jones as a manager. It's the most exciting thing that has happened to me as a Luton Town fan. And this season is my 60th year supporting Luton Town. And the question I would ask is for everybody to look around and tell me where you can find a manager, okay, maybe his first year in, in management, who has been assistant manager to arguably one of the best footballers in the world in his day, <clears throat> with two different Premier teams, Premier League teams, and gone to the World Cup with Belgium as his number two and come home with a bronze World Cup winning medal. Can you tell me another manager in this country who has done that? That experience alone is the most exciting thing at Luton Town Football Club at the moment. Give the man the chance and he'll give you the goods. And we'll actually get Graham's own thoughts on that World Cup uh, experience when me and Tony caught up with him at the training ground a little later in this episode. Tony, what's your reflections on the four games that you've seen so far? Is it above your expectations? What you expected? Slightly below? Um, um, I think... It's fairly low on my expectations. I mean, the, the only thing that surprised me uh, in the first game, I, 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 I watched this start against Middlesbrough, and I just thought the pace is unbelievable. It's a definite step up that way. Um, you, you, you can see there's there's much more quality there, um, and I, in actual fact. I'm actually really pleased with the way the town have performed so far. I think um, we've been unlucky. I mean, some of the goals that we've given away um, have have been through errors, and you do get punished a lot more at this level. Um, but we're learning. Um, we've got quality players. And um, I'm not too disheartened, to be honest with you. I mean, nobody has, has, has given us a drop in. Nobody's outclassed us. Um, the, the, the only other thing I think I, can, I, I looked at was when the teams came out um, for the West Brom game. I looked. My first thought when I looked at West Brom was, my God, look at the size of them. Yeah. You know, they, they were a big team. But you, you, you could see they, they, they were a good outfit. But the main difference I, I, I think I've noticed so far in the games is the other sides seem to have a bit more nous than we have. You know, what I mean is that the experience at this level, um, you know, you can see when we're attacking, they know how to, you know, absorb what we're doing and then take the chances that come their way. Um, I've 
I'm not disheartened with uh, the goalkeeper. I think Sluger has got great potential. It was fantastic in the Middlesbrough game, the way the fans got behind him. And that first night at Kenilworth Road against Middlesbrough was unbelievable. It was absolutely deafening. Well, I was just going to um, bring that up, actually, James, because <coughs> although you're there covering from a Luton angle now, you're as probably the most neutral of the four of us around this table when you're in the press box. Just what was that sound like? I mean, you're in a perfect position to hear it as well, smack bang in the middle of the main stand. I mean, in the kennel event, if James Collins had scored that one in injury time, I think we'd have had to have gone to power court the following day because Kenny would have collapsed. <laughs> the noise was just amazing. It, it was. It was. Considering Luton have um, been virtually peerless for two seasons, and gone up twice and there's been promotion parties and all the celebrations and smashing Stevenage by a million goals to one and um, considering all of that I didn't think that noise, the noise levels in the Kenny could get bigger than that But Well I've got to say when I left Kenilworth Road after the Portsmouth game back in January I didn't think I was going to experience a better night given how long we've got left at Kenilworth Road mm. and then seven months later I mean Middlesbrough that, that night just you know I'll, then, show, I'll show you this and I'll raise you to it. And then Sonny Bradley sticks on in the top well, bin I for mean, his first goal. <laughs> I, I mean, <laughs> you don't score a goal all season and then you ping one Tony Yaboa style in the top bin like, like that. I mean, that, the noise when that happened was just incredible. And the, the whole night, and I just, I, I wrote a program piece um, for the next home game, which was the Ipswich one, saying, you know, I can't wait for that to happen again and I kind of knew it wouldn't for the Carabao Cup but uh, get back to the Kenny and, and do that again because uh, it it clearly spurred the team on a little bit more and when they missed the penalty it could have been all over then and yeah he missed the penalty Luton can do anything about that but he did and that noise level rose again you just thought something could be on here and it absolutely was so um, yeah it was a great night the penalty miss of course which was justice because it was outside the penalty box and I was pretty convinced it was even from the kennel event I think yeah, I asked was, you on I was, the I was night in line with it. it was outside the box it was outside the box and how, and how we didn't get a penalty well no, Dan Potts yeah. is definitely <laughs> that was right in front of me I yeah. could not believe that did, wasn't did the other given. thing Kev that I, I was really uh, amazed at was um, Shinny's booking against West Brom when they went for a 50-50 ball and he got booked for it and a little while earlier one of their players had, had, had committed a worse foul and just got away with it yeah I think oh, there was a couple of fouls that Sheffield Wednesday committed on Tuesday night that could have um, could have had punishments I mean Pearson seemed to get done shortly after Craney went off injured by a nasty tackle and he's he got of, done for the reaction kind of, yeah he's kind yeah. of a placid bloke isn't he Pearson and you could tell by the reaction that I, um, I think um, and I, th- I think probably Reg would agree with me here is I mean we've been around long enough to see some fantastic nights at Kenilworth Road and if you look back in, in history and you know if you remember like our promotion season in 73-74 when we went up behind Middlesbrough um, and you you look at the game; it, it, it's it's almost like a totally different game now, isn't it? Yeah. it, it it's just unbelievable the, the the speed, the power, you know, um, and the pressure. I mean, if you look uh, like West Brom and Middlesbrough, the way they were pressing us as well, we didn't get any of that last season. You know, so um, I, th- I think it's a very steep learning curve for us, but. I think we'll get there. We're showing signs. We're not overawed. We're not outclassed. I think we'll be okay. I think 
Reggie's point about the team needing to gel is spot on. Don't forget, as well as that, you've lost Justin and Stacey, two massive attacking weapons. And, and mm. I spoke to Graham Jones today, and he said they're still trying to cope with that and, and make up and find new ways to deal with that. So yeah, on top of having to mix in new players, two immense players have gone to play of the season. He won three, three awards at the player of the season, wasn't he? So Jack Stacey. And um, yeah, so you, to be where they are in terms of performance levels is really heartening because they've had so much to deal with. They've had to change the manager as well, let's not forget. On top of that, he's, he's started the season off with three or four injured players and now he's got Craney injured. Looks like he's going to be out for two or three months with his knee ligaments. You know, so things are stacking up for him as well. So it's it's added pressure on a new manager. All right, it's been assistant manager for donkey's years, but it's a big step up from assistant manager mm. to being the manager of a football club. One of the things that I, I, I don't, I wouldn't say it amuses me, but I look at it and you, and you look on media like the message board and you see all this speculation amongst the supporters, in particular something like Danny Hilton and it's where's Danny, he must be on his way out, Jones doesn't like him and this, and then you find out today that he's just had an operation on his knee. Yeah. It's, all, it's all pure speculation about players and, you know, Graham spoke very highly of Danny Hilton, you know, and... Uh, I think supporters just need to stop speculating, stop, you know, you, you see them when they're, oh yeah, how much are they getting paid and this, like, just forget all that and just concentrate on getting behind them because if we're all behind them and it's, you know, you, the, the world's our oyster. If you want to, uh, just a little anecdote about how much people are getting paid, obviously I haven't seen people's pay slips and any balance sheets or anything, but as I walked out of Hillsborough on Tuesday night, uh, some of the Sheffield Wednesday players were getting in their cars and I'm not a car man but I was with Liam Smith photographer who does photog- photos for um, Lutonian big shout out to Liam mm. and he said that car that Barry Bannon's in it's a 180 grand car <laughs> there you go and he's just a second tier player and he's a Scottish international but I don't think there's many Luton players that are getting 180 grand a year is it? Oh, exactly <laughs> Uh, just on that Middlesbrough game, chaps, um, a lot's changed. I've, I wrote about this in uh, for your for your website, James. A lot's changed at Kenilworth Road, hasn't it? Aesthetically, uh, TV gantries finally moved across to uh, above the boxes. That silly sponsor board thing, which is bringing the club fantastic revenue, but it's an eyesore for those in the uh, enclosure to look over. And the new floodlights and all of that. So there's so much change at Kenilworth Road, but the magic ain't left, does it? No, no. I don't think it will. I don't think there's a football team in this division that relishes coming to Kenilworth Road because they're so close to the crowd. Mm. And and I think that was um, mentioned in the building of the new stadium that there's not a athletics track around it. You know, you've got to be, you've got to keep that ambience within the football club. That, that was funny. And new ground because at one time, you know, as <coughs> trust we were. Having, I was having a conversation with Gary Sweet and, and he asked me he said what, what would you like to see in the new stadium and my first reaction was like Kenilworth Road we've got to be right up on top of the pitch right as close as possible to the action and he said that's what a lot of supporters are saying they want that and I think Gary would go along with that that's what they've looked, one of the things they've looked at in the design of the stadium there's very few football clubs 
at any level really that are as close to the football as kind of a throw. Yeah, I mean, I, I, one of the last things I wanted is if you think back to the, the old Stamford Bridge, you're absolutely miles away from the pitch. Mm. You know, and, it, and it, it, it was difficult to get a, you know an atmosphere going. And, and, but Kenilworth Road has always been great. It always can also it can also be intimidating for mm. the opposing players. I mean, I I know I, I can I can recall going back to um, Leicester v Luton on the mud years back. Uh, Wallington was in goal for Leicester. Keith Weller hated Kenilworth Road. And he played the ball back to yeah. Keith Weller from the corner post and it just rolled in the mud and into the net. <laughs> and it could have stood and cried. <laughs> and he's two foot, three foot away from all them Luton fans that are signing him on, signing him on, signing him on, <laughs> yeah. you know. And the season before, he'd scored an absolute cracker in the, in yeah, the camp. Yeah. Yeah. That's football at kind of a front. Yeah. Let's go through a few of the uh, individuals then, champs, particularly the new signings. And we've got to start right at the back, Tony. Uh, Simon Saluga, uh, congratulations to him on his call-up for the Croatia squad today. Uh, Well-deserved. What do you make of uh, him in the first four games? Obviously, there's an awful lot of talk about him, as I guess there was always going to be new goalkeeper, record signing, expectation on him, etc., etc. I think... Has he performed how you'd expect? Did you expect mm, him to take a bit of time to adjust? Well, I, I, I didn't really know, because I, I, I didn't know really what to expect. I thought, you know, if he, if he was a Croatian international goalkeeper, he, he, he's got to be a good goalkeeper. Um, and I, I, I actually like him. I, I, I like his distribution. Um is a lot better and his kicking's a lot better as well um, he's shown recently that he can dominate his, his, his box a bit better he's so quick to come out um, but you know that that's supposedly what he's been signed as like a sweeper goalkeeper isn't he mm. I think you know people have been talking about the mistakes he's made I, I, I think he's been unfortunate I mean the, the first one in the game against Middlesbrough um, the ball came off Matthew Pearson and Sluger was wrong footed and he got down and it, it, it was just unlucky and, and, and you could see how much it meant to him because of the way he was thumping the post um, and it that's was three broken hands if yeah. I do that yeah. <laughs> and it was great that the crowd got behind him um, the, the one at Cardiff uh, when Vassell scored um, I think he was he was injured I find it hard for anyone to pin the blame on that one because I've seen those comments and they're saying he's, he's slow to come out but the cross shouldn't have come in in the first place and then Sonny Bradley doesn't track the cells so what's yeah. he going to do at point blank range you know he's Graham Jones has said it himself him. he got the, I mean you, you, the cell did what he's paid to do yeah you know, the defender should pick him up. The, 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 That's not a goalkeeper mistake, that. The, the, the goal on Tuesday night, um, you know, he, he, he's tried to get the ball out quick. That's how he's been taught to play the game, to get the ball out quick. That's what he tried to do. Now, you, you, you can... Some of the blame on that has got to go to Tunnicliffe uh, because he should have had a bit more about him, that the ball was coming to him and then played it out. But then there were two or three more mistakes when players weren't picked up. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you know, and, and and I think Craney he, he went to the goal line instead of picking the guy up who scored. Yeah, 
you know, so to pin it all on 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 Sluger, it, 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 it's just unfair. I mean, and it, it, he's a new guy in this country. He's coming to terms with it. Even if he was English and he could speak English, it still needs time for a, a, a goalkeeper to develop an understanding with his back four. Just think how much harder it's going to be when English is not your first language. Well, I mean, even if he's English, he could still make mistakes, can't he, yeah. Stoke? But, but uh, the it, it seems like people are <laughs> just going to those incidents, and the only one I can, you can say is you know he's really culpable for is the Middlesbrough, in my opinion. But they're but just really, going to that. They're going to those mistakes, and they're not looking at what he has done. Well, yeah, I was just about to say he kind of had the three minutes of the life of a goalkeeper in that game, didn't he? Because three minutes prior to that, he pulled off a save that no other goalkeeper that we've got at the club right now would be able to save because they're not tall enough to get up. Well, yeah, it's just to the where sheer it was. Numbers. I mean. You, know, you could say would Shea pull that off the symptom ones who you don't know but if you just go by the the height and the numbers then he's he, he was at full stretch to tip that round the top uh, top corner yeah, it was so a worldly Shea's save going to need step ladders to get yeah. up there isn't he? the keeper made a couple of errors on Tuesday night but he, he got away with it yeah so, booted it to Shinny and yeah, just about got back you know. a lot of us thought Shinny had scored but um no, keepers make mistakes. It's part of football. And to get on somebody and demand that he's dropped, he's, I think he's wrong. I mean, if if Jones knows more than that, and if he turned around and dropped him, what would that do to his confidence? I think for for me, I think the only mistake he's really made as a goalkeeper was against Middlesbrough when the ball went through yeah, his hands. Yeah, that was unfortunate. And, like, and the, the problem with that is. If you're a goalkeeper and that happens, it's a goal. And yeah. You can't do anything about it because you're on the goal line. You haven't got 18 yards in front of you to but try and kick the ball out. Pulled off just before that. But he's you know, made some spectacular saves yeah. um, he, he, he kept, in every game. I made him many, many saves in the second half as well. well actually, I, I made don't him appear in, on no highlight reels from that game. I made him in that game the man of the match because he say he kept the, the score down in the second half when. Middlesbrough were on top and Asamba Longa got through a couple of times and he came out and he won those contests mm. without that and you know who's to say what he didn't put off Asamba Longa for the penalty as well because of maybe that and also his size without that you don't get that James Collins goal it's just a consolation because they'd have been streets ahead yeah absolutely another player who impressed um, James in that Middlesbrough game was Callum McManaman <clears> who Started up front for us uh, in the in the kind of diamond diamond formation. If you put everyone into that formation, McManaman's been up front, but actually spent an awful lot of time on the right wing, which is a, a real tactical masterclass from Jones. Obviously, he knows what he's coming up against, having faced Middlesbrough last year, and he got a lot of joy in that game. And him and Collins seem to have an instant sort of link up. Yeah, I thought so. I mean, I think that's that's Plan A to deal with uh, the lack of. Stacey on that side for me and so it was, a bit, it was a disappointment when he wasn't quite um, fit enough to be in the team for Sheffield Wednesday but you're right he, he his first instinct is to get the ball in and that doesn't mean he has to beat the player because he's got such a whip on his cross and James Collins must be loving that uh, it, and it, he, he's got a bit of pace he's got a bit of trickery he's been getting better every game the manager says nearly scored at Cardiff should have scored at Cardiff scored yeah at should Cardiff, have scored absolutely. at Cardiff the manager says he needs a bit longer than everyone else to get yeah, fit so just his fitness. Yeah. yeah but he, he he looks real promising the, the the instant partnership there looks promising and probably quite telling that when he wasn't in the team in Sheffield Wednesday 
uh, Collins really struggled for service. Didn't get much. You know, he did, did what James Collins does when he's not getting service, but there was nothing happening up top there. There's one other signing that we need to discuss because his debut was one of the better debuts I've seen, and that's Izzy Brown. Uh, Reg, you was at the Ipswich game. He, uh, I'm not altogether sure what the sponsors were watching because for me, Izzy Brown stood out like a sore thumb that night. Um, it's going to be a fun season watching him. Without a doubt. Um, the man's got immense uh, talent, immense skill. Um, it perhaps just needs to quicken up a little bit. Who was it who likened his cross for Jones's goal to Lionel Messi? Someone has. It was Quest TV, Quest, and it. I saw it on yeah. the tweet. I think it, it was it, it was Michael Brown was doing the co-commentary, and and then there was Colin, um, Colin Murray. Murray doing the commentary. Yeah. So I don't know. One of them said it, but it was just put in the body of the tweet from what I saw. But uh, it was a fantastic setup. Well, this is where it comes back to what I said a little while ago about Graham Jones having the experience of using various players mm. and knowing exactly how much he can get out of them before he needs to change them. Um, and he's openly said that Luar Luar, because he was late back into pre-season training, is way behind. He's openly said that. But he knows he can get at least 30 minutes out of him. So if he's got to play somebody else for 60 <clears throat> and then put him on for 30 minutes... There was a there was a couple That's of times, you know, in, in that Ipswich game when, when Izzy was on the ball, and you blink and you thought, "This one that was Ricky." <laughs> yeah, that, 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 you know, uh, that level of skill almost approaching. Another, was good another thing about him as well is, um, particularly in the Ipswich game, they couldn't get the ball off of him, mm. so they tried knocking him over, and they couldn't knock him over either. Um, there's a lot of players that that are good ball players that can't stand on their feet but he must have size 12 boots because they just couldn't knock him over <laughs> I thought he was a brilliant debut um, he was, was I'm sure he got man of the match honours in the Lutonian uh, right up from that game or he was, were... yeah no he, he, def- he definitely did I don't know what the sponsor the sponsor must have had too much champers because uh, I don't know who they gave to <laughs> Elliot Lee they, they gave it to Elliot Lee I mean he had a good game don't get me wrong Elliot Lee had a decent game but Izzy Brown was by far head and shoulders the best player on that pitch and he came off in 65 minutes he was still the best player absolutely and yeah. I think the ovation that he got when he went off yeah. signalled how good he they was singing his name you don't get that very often on a debut do you and another new signing that we saw in that game uh, who impressed in the 45 minutes that he was on the pitch was Luke Bolton mm. now Tony is there shades of Jack Stacey in him mm. very very quick forward minded player obviously we'll need to work on his defensive side yeah, of the game I, I think he got caught a couple of times but um, but if you think back to when Jack Stacey came into our side he was getting caught positionally in that first League 2 season that we had the promotion season but he learned his positional sense as time went on so it, 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 it with Craney quick, out as yeah, well I'm kind of yeah. wondering if, no, I think, if I there's think a long term position for him there. In there. I, I think um, you know it, it, he's He's on Manchester City's books, isn't he? So he, he can't be that bad. Um, no, I, I, I think there's potential there. Um, he, you know, again, it, it's just going to be a steep learning curve for him. You know, and I think he'll be okay. He'll fit in. He's a good. He's a good footballer. He's lightning quick. I know that because somebody got past him well. on Tuesday, and he was back in a flash. Wasn't yeah, he? yeah, and he's lightning quick. Although he had a great chance to score an equaliser. Yeah, and he, he missed that one. I was so. screaming from. 
But that comes with confidence, though, doesn't it? From the moon, I was screaming at him. Mm. Yeah, of course it mm. does. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, and fitting into the side. Uh, James, last one with you. Not actually a new signing, but Lloyd-Jones against Ipswich was another real standout performer. He was, and we've not seen a lot of him. Um, I, I don't think the other Jones, Nathan Jones, fancied him. I mean, he got him in from Liverpool, and I think... The defender Jones thought he'd get a bit more of a shout and a bit of too many Jones, isn't there? It's getting confusing. (laughs) Um, But he didn't, and of course, when Matty Pearson and Bradley eventually got together after uh, Sheehan um, came out the side, they formed that partnership, which was so instrumental in 19 clean sheets. So he was never really going to get back in at that stage. Uh, But that was the same for a lot of players that were in the squad because of how well the team were doing there was players that couldn't get in if you got out through injury injury, it was so tough as Dan Potts saw didn't he well yeah James Justin and that was the end of that Tony Potsy was the first choice left back wasn't he and then a little injury later and he's 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 playing second fiddle to James Justin who's now at Leicester um, sitting on the bench at Stamford sitting Bridge. on the bench yeah it's disappointing it's a carbon copy of last season well that was Pops, it? yeah. it's actually almost a carbon copy of the club's season isn't it because we took three or four games in League One to adjust to the level we were outplayed at Peterborough weren't we a lot more at Peterborough than we've been in any of the four games so far um, but when that first win came and Graham Jones is very strong on this in an interview that we've got coming up when that first win came the momentum went from there and you can kind of see the potential for that again he certainly can yeah I, mean, we, you know, I don't think there's anything to fear there respect yes but not be scared of as I said you know, we haven't been um, outclassed yet um, yeah we, we've still got some uh, you know, big teams to come like Leeds, um, but you know the, the the teams around our, our sort of standard. I, I can see us getting the necessary points. I, I don't think we'll struggle. I think we'll be okay. I've only seen the headlines and the snippets and things, James. But I think Andrew Shinney said exactly the same on that line on Tuesday to you. He did. They're all pretty much saying the same thing is that there's nothing to fear. They're playing well enough to get something. They're a bit unlucky. They are, yes, they are getting punished for the little mistakes they're making, but that they'll learn. If they were getting hammered out of sight, mm. you'd be worried. Say, if yeah. if they were not competing, you'd be worried. But for at least, for, my, for all the games, in fact, they've had um, maybe a half or a very impressive passages of the game where they have been the dominant team they've held possession um, and I know you've got to do something with it and I spoke to Graham today and he, he admit yeah you do have to do something with it so it's not all just let's celebrate 65% possession stats but they did that at Cardiff the next Premier League side on their own patch so if you've got the ball you've got more chance of scoring and less chance of the other team scoring the fact that they need to create more chances you, you would hope would come because they've still got players to come back Lawala still got to come back into fitness Izzy Brown's not been given a league start yet so um, there is they are doing what the manager says which is getting closer and closer Shinny said it as well and you 
you can just imagine that when they do get that first win, they'll kick on a bit more. And they're not going to go on a 28-game unbeaten run, probably. But um, I'm going to hold you to that when we're uh, approaching <laughs> yeah, that number. Approaching that number. Yeah, I can't see that. Actually, as me and Tony were walking into the training ground earlier, we passed James Shea, didn't we? And yeah. he was along the, the similar lines to what you just said: one win, and we'll be absolutely fine again. Uh, Reg, we've got two games before the international break. These international breaks, something that we're going to have to get used to. Um, Barnsley away and Huddersfield at home what would you like to see the town do in those two games I mean obviously six points yeah yeah, absolutely but the processes that could get us there Um, I think they've got to stick as they are they've got to keep plugging away and they've got to have just a tiny little bit more luck um, error wise and a little bit more confidence up front Um, we know we can score goals we scored three against one of the so-called best teams in this division against Middlesbrough on opening day. Um, If we can achieve that level again, uh, I'll be happy with two points. I'll be happier with four points. And I'll be absolutely ecstatic with six points. (laughs) Will familiarity help us on Saturday, Tony? The fact that we've played Barnsley twice last season, we know what to expect from them. We know a lot of their players, don't we? Mm, I, I, they know a lot I, of our I, players, I guess. I don't but. know. I, I mean, we've had a change in personnel. They, they've had a change in personnel. Well, our I mean, change in personnel tends to have come via them, doesn't it? I don't think we're allowed to make a sign in that's yeah. not got Barnsley on but his CV. I, I, but they have lost some key players. But to be, give credit where it's due, they've started well. They haven't had as hard a, a start as we have, apart from maybe Fulham. Um, Which was ironically the game they won, wasn't it? I would argue that they, and Charlton, um, because they're the other team that came up, they've got greater consistency than Luton because they haven't had to sell two main players. They haven't had to change their manager. They have lost some Barnsley have lost the goalkeeper and the centre-back. But the thing is, don't don't forget the goalkeeper who was Barnsley do have experience in the championship because we're only in League One for one season. Yeah. Yeah. You know, so um, you say that, we're aware of uh, Corley Woodrow, we're aware of Cameron McGeehan, we know what they're about, we know what they can do. I think uh, three points are up for grabs on Saturday. I really do. Is that how you see it, travelling up to work, well, James? Uh, yeah, I, I would like to think so. If they pl- if they play to the levels that they've played to in the last two games, certainly uh, first halves anyway. Um, yes, they are a threat, as we saw at Oko last season. We waxed Liverpool about how good they were. Best team in best team Luton played in that division at home. Um, Luton quite. I don't think Luton were quite at it but they still managed to really run them close so uh, yeah I think the three points are up for grabs you look at it and say that this is the one where you've got to get something out of the game um, but I would be I would be happy with the point to be honest because I still think that Luton are far more in transition than Barnsley and Charlton are and then Huddersfield come to Kenworth Road and I've watched two of their games this season uh, they were involved in a Friday night game on the box against Fulham and um, their opening game against Derby I think it was was also on the telly and they looked horrendous in both of those and obviously their manager's been sacked since then so they're probably coming down here with um, their tails between their legs really aren't they so you know maybe that's the game that we focus we put in a real big effort with the international break afterwards so we've got two weeks to recover minus the two that go on international duty 
Kenilworth Road will probably be rocking that day as well. It's the last home game for three weeks, and uh, that's got great occasion and three points written all over it, hopefully, hasn't it? Yeah, uh, I hope so. Um, I mean, it looks like Huddersfield are going to be one of the strugglers, so you know these these are games that we need to be looking at taking points from. So I think if we don't beat them, I'll be very disappointed. Yeah, absolutely. Sorry. They're pretty much in free fall at the moment, aren't they? I think they were, no disrespect to Huddersfield, I watched them a few times last year in the Premiership and I thought they played a really good style of football. Mm. But I think they were quite shocked to be in the Premier League. Um, and it um, it frightened them a little bit. Um, and uh, they started off all right. And then they just nosedived. Yeah, and, I, don't, um, I don't think there's a lot to be said for momentum. We yeah. have momentum going up, and, yeah, and it, it works the other way as well. I mean, you've only got to look at Sunderland. And, yeah. and you it's, know, it's down to down, keeping so. your players fit. When they started yeah. in the Premier League, they were flying. They were playing brilliant football. They were scoring loads of goals. Three or four injuries over the course of a month. The goals dry up. The football's not as good. The fans start getting on them. Crowds drop. And you're fighting a, a, a pretty tough battle to get back to where they were at the start of last season. And I think that's the situation they're in now, that they're in free fall at the moment. And somewhere somewhere along the lines, they've got to put the brakes on quick. or they, um, Within the next nine months, they're going to be in League One. Mm. Yeah, that's the thoughts of uh, us around this table then. Hopefully the town aren't too far away from a win. Uh, let's move on to the interview that we've been promising you ever since the start of the podcast. Tony and myself met up with Graham Jones earlier on uh, for a 35-minute chat, and uh, here's what he had to say. Graham, on behalf of the Luton fans, let me welcome you to Luton, and I hope you've settled in uh, both at the club and in the surrounding area well. Uh, well, thank you, Kev. Um... Uh, yeah, I have, but I feel like I've been here for I feel like I've been here for six or seven months now. So because obviously I've been I knew I was coming, I've been watching from a distance. So um, I don't feel the new town manager at all, um, but happy. That's good to hear. Um, did you know much about Luton Town before you uh, was offered the job, or in, you know the, the interest in you from us uh, came apparent? Uh, I knew on two fronts really from playing. Uh, against Luton when I was at Wigan uh, in League One um, I knew um, I just remember a really intimidating atmosphere at Kenilworth Road I remember playing against uh, Steve Davis a big Geordie centre-half good centre-half Tony um, and there was a striker Tony Thorpe am I right who yeah. was quite prolific um, at that period so I knew um, it was a difficult opponent. <clears throat> I'd played on a Saturday at Kenilworth Road for Wigan. I'd played on a, a Tuesday night at Kenilworth Road. So I knew the environment. Um, and then from a, a management point of view, I knew the club was on the up. Obviously, with my association with, with Gary Brabham, uh, I kept an eye out for Luton because he said to me, you've got no idea what a big club it is and how much he enjoyed the area. So I followed, I followed Luton. Um, especially when you see a club that you're not associated with in the conference, especially a big club, you find it a bit sad from the outside. Um, and then obviously the rise through the leagues, you start seeing progress made. And then last season I was at West Bromwich Albion and we had a 
uh, Carabao Cup game against Luton and I changed the uh, shape of the team that night Darren let me get on with it I changed the shape of the team went into a back three and Luton were really a really difficult opponent obviously West Brom had better quality uh, at the time just relegated from the Premier League and it was a real really difficult evening that West Brom won 1-0 so all of a sudden there was uh, lots of association with Luton Town and uh, to answer your question Kev yeah, I was very aware <laughs> Did um, Gary Brabin need to sell the club to you in any way? I mean, obviously, I'm guessing you got advice on, you know, from him. But did he need to sell it? I'm, I'm guessing he did sell it well. He's a popular figure here, and uh, his time here was, you know, sort of well received in 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 the in the roles that he had. Um, yeah, he did sell the club. Obviously, I spoke to him about it, and it's very strange for an ex-manager to get sacked and love the club. And uh, I think Gary came to the club. And a really difficult time, it probably bared the frustrations of the supporters. In my opinion, Luton Town are a minimum championship club. All of a sudden, find the sound of Vauxhall Conference, and he's got expectation and disappointment and bitterness to deal with. And uh, for him to still speak so well about the club and how well it was run, and the support that um, the supporters can give you when they really get behind you, that was they were all big pluses for me in terms of coming here yeah I think he was on a little bit of a hiding to nothing but thankfully you're in a in a much better position uh, and the club's in a much better position now than uh, than when we were uh, when Gary was here but was you surprised by what you took over when you actually came in and assessed the squad and everything I know you'd been looking on from afar but when you actually got into the nitty gritty of everything was there anything that surprised you um <coughs> nothing uh really is that because of the research you've done or because you just knew what, you, what to expect because no, you've been around football for so long? No, the research that I'd, that I'd done, um, that was the, the big thing. Obviously, you know, two Premier League clubs come calling for your full-backs and you've got no choice. You've got to think about what the boys give to the club and their ambition and then there's the financial aspect, which I think the club control really well to protect Luton Town Football Club. But from my point of view, you don't want to lose two players of that ilk, um, which, especially when you, you've just came through the door, you want to build on what was here. So we, we really, then we really needed to recruit, um, I think, championship experience, try and guide the lads who hadn't played here before. So there's been a big, big mixture in the job in the first few months. But um, apart from winning in the championship, I've been really really pleased with uh, everything I haven't got a complaint about anything whatsoever we just need to get the show on the road yeah, just going back to the period before you actually stepped into the role uh, Graham did, did you find that hard did you find frustrating being the fact that you, you knew you were coming into the club as the manager but you, you kept a step back um, a bit of both because the way I am I can, I can get a, I can get really focused on what I'm doing and I refused to to get drawn um, because I was so committed to Darren who's my friend and I really you know I wanted to I wanted to do well for Darren that was the reason why I didn't I wouldn't leave West Brom obviously they made the decision it was their decision that at the end of the day we were fourth on the table I think would Basically, it was 9th of March, which secured a playoff place, which was a minimum requirement. But then, obviously, 
Um, once I knew I was definitely coming, you start uh, in your time off and maybe the odd evening, you start um, getting interested, you start looking into detail and um, start thinking about uh, Luton Town. But I try to remain focused on West Bromwich Albion. That was the absolute truth because of my loyalty to Durham. Um, but once the 9th of March came and we lost the job there, it was my entire focus went on Luton. I think you know, that's what struck a, a, a chord with a lot of Luton fans was the fact that you you wouldn't, although you wanted to come, you wouldn't leave West Brom. And I believe it, it, it was you weren't going to actually leave West Brom until the end of the season. And uh, I think a lot of Luton fans respect you for that. Well, I had it programmed in my head, 27th of May, I think it was, playoff final. Mm. And I was going to do whatever it, it took for... I enjoyed my time at West Brom. I've got to say that really, really good club of good people. Obviously, as I've said, fourth in the table wasn't wasn't deemed good enough at that particular time. But I didn't want to. I didn't want to leave the club, and I didn't want to leave Darren. And the job was offered to me in January. Uh, obviously, it was a good decision because Mick uh, Mick was a perfect man for it. He took over and steered us to the League One title, but. I just think from an integrity point of view, uh, Darren has been my friend since 1995. Uh, he's a good a human being as you'll ever meet in your life. I was never, ever going to let him down. So that was my first port of call. If I'd have been selfish, I could have walked out the door and got on with being a manager in League One, which would obviously have been easier than the championship. And I told Darren my intention right from the minute I came through the door, so I would have been quite entitled to do it. I just didn't feel it was morally correct the commitment that him and the club had made to me so um, I decided to get on with it and, and things didn't work out as planned and here we are today I'm manager of Luton and Darren's manager Douglas Rovers you couldn't write it but that's, that's what happens in football It's a shame you're not going to be playing each other isn't it? Well I don't know it's, <laughs> it's maybe a good thing with us we're too close to upset each other so yeah so we're in the championship and uh, obviously you know this division inside out. You've worked in this division with West Brom, with other clubs uh, in, in the past. But I think as a fan base, we're not really used to the championship. It's been so long since we've been in it. And I, don't know, I think the first sort of four games have been a bit of an eye opener to us, you know. Not so much the quality. I mean, that, you, you just look at the sides that are in it, you know that. But the physicality, the every single mistake you make, it, you know, the, the lack, the that extra second that you've not got on the ball that you had in League One, that kind of thing. Have the players been a little bit surprised by that? Maybe. I think initially they were. Um, I do think initially they were surprised by it. I think we're overcoming it. I think we're realising psychologically we can do it. I think we've got a game and a style that. Uh, suits the championship I think it, we need to add to it we need to be better in other areas which is where the work is at the minute um, but I do think the, the, the physicality of the league there was, there's was there been moments in every game where obviously I worked in the Premier League for seven years and I recognise them Premier League traits the physicality the power the size the pace and I think we got a bit of a shock uh, initially matching that um, but I think since then we've found a way of uh, matching and, and, and being different and we have to continue and that's where the work is. Yeah, that's certainly the thing of watching the four games in the stands. That's the thing that sort of really surprised me. Um, I asked uh, that question because 
we were in a similar position this time last year. Obviously, we'd gone up a division, and maybe the gap between League Two and League One not as vast as the one between League One and the Championship. But we certainly took four or five games to find our footing in that division. But then when we did, obviously, we all know we all know the rest. So there's signs that when that first win comes along, it's going to you know the, mem- the momentum's going to build, and we're going to have a enjoyable season, if if I can put it that way. And I, I don't want to determine what success is or anything but you know you know you, you know the momentum's going to continue yeah my first target is to win in the championship whenever that comes this week uh, this saturday hopefully if not the following saturday that's absolutely the target when we get a win at that point psychologically the players will know that they're this level and that's the toughest bit that's the truth and uh, we are so close to getting it i think we have to measure what's gone on against Middlesbrough it was very uh, euphoric it was very um, transitional in the game it was hectic it was helter-skelter we managed to dig in there with the characters of the group and draw the game against Cardiff I think that was the biggest uh, psychological step uh, you're in a Premier League arena playing an outfit that was more brutal physically compared to the team we put out on the day again managed to dig in there get back in the game and Probably didn't see it out and manage the game as well as we should. West Brom, first half, has been our best performance of the season so far. I've got no question about that. Against uh, an ex-Premier League side, controlled the game, uh, off and on the ball. Uh, just feared a little bit at 1-0. I think the group had, we didn't want to lose what we'd got. Uh, so we've worked at that side logically. And then we went into, we went into Sheffield Wednesday's backyard on... Tuesday night at Hillsborough and I think for for most parts controlled the environment um, certainly off the ball I was really pleased I think it was the best off the ball performance on the ball in certain areas were good it's just that last little bit in the final third where the work is and um, we've started today and we'll continue tomorrow and we'll measure it again on Saturday and, and that's where we are I mean, you mentioned the West Brom game then. I've been watching Luton. Well, we've both been watching Luton for an awful long time. That first 45 minutes, some of the best football I've ever seen a Luton side play. You know, um, I think one of the words that I'd use that you need to be in your side is brave. Both us as fans, we need to be brave when the boys are passing it around the back. You know, don't get scared that opposition are closing us down. Let them be comfortable on the ball and things. But the players themselves need to be brave to take on that style. But that's the way that we're going to prosper in this division. Well, this style will take us further long term. Let's say now I relinquish all responsibility for the goalkeeper and the back four, the back three, depending on who we're playing against. And I sent everybody up the pitch and I kicked a, a divided ball. Uh, 50-50 they might win it we might win it some some games you'll win some games you'll lose but we're in control of what we're doing um, we chose to go a little bit longer against Sheffield Wednesday you have to be pragmatic I think it's horses for courses depending on the opposition against West Brom for 45 minutes we took a goal kick to Jacob Butterfield in our own six yard box and built with a back three against two players and we were consistent with it and we were successful with it and there was an inferiority complex from them only when they put on their expensive power that at the minute we haven't got that the game changed we managed to get with subs on and we got we wrestled way back into the game and that's where we are a little bit um, 
it takes an awful lot of courage for the players to do what they've been doing because it's unusual for them, it's different. But long term, I really think it'll take us further. Yeah, I think from what I've seen, I mean, certainly from the Middlesbrough game, the thing that struck me was the, the speed of the game. It's, it's gone up a total notch. And I think, to a certain extent, supporters have been spoilt a little bit because of over the last two seasons we've you know we've won a hell of a lot more games than we when we've lost so personally I look at it and I think yeah with the performance we've had we've played well we've competed and we've been a little bit unlucky as well you know deflections here and there but yeah. I can see that we're building and I, and I agree with you I think we decide very much looks like it will get there well, if you, again, you talk about Luton's results in the last couple of years. They had they had that physicality with Jack and and, and James going forward. Mm. And um, when you see it in an opposition, you realise that it's powerful. And the Championship's like that against everybody. And the Premier League's another level again in terms of physicality. If you if you're not six foot two and you're not lightning quick, don't even try and sign a, a player for that for that level because. Uh, but now I'm seeing traits of the Premier League in, in the Championship. Yeah. And some of the teams that I've picked have been to address that. Some of the teams have been that I've picked have been to um, compete against that. But also within it, we've had to find a, a different way of being different. We're trying to get on the ball and have the ball more and be in more control of what we're doing. The only thing that hasn't come is a win. And in the Championship would be the switch in the Capital One Cup, but is a win... The minute we get a win in this league, we won't look back. I can assure you. But the hardest part, the hardest part, I can tell you right now, is getting that first one. That's where we are. The other thing we had last season that we maybe not have this season is one of the best squads in the league. And um, without doing a disservice to anyone that's gone before you, largely they've been able to put out the same 11 with the same tactics and overpower sides that are inferior to us. You've not got that luxury. And I've been interested, actually, with your tactical um, switches. Obviously, um, Callum McManaman drifting to the right-hand side against Middlesbrough to go one-on-one with, I guess, a left-back that you felt he could exploit. But I'm also interested in the role that James Collins is playing in the side. Can you just talk us through, obviously without giving away any tactical game plans or anything, just the difference in the role that you're asking him to perform? Well, James has played now in three different roles uh, for us. Um, He's played as a split striker, he's played as a 10, and the other other day he played as an out-and-out nine. So... um, Again, it's just it's horses for courses, Kev. It's uh, depend on the opposition, depend on what their strengths are. Obviously, the 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 greatest work I've got at the minute is reviewing our own games because that's where we're making the most progress. Um, but then there's reviewing the opposition, and then when you review the opposition, you have to take into consideration their threats. So if you see them off the ball a little bit deeper, it's because there's a, a threat there. But I was really pleased with these. Uh, performance tactically against Sheffield Wednesday I think we've got to work harder to get him in the areas of the pitch where he can be potent and then supply him with that so that's the last little bit of work Uh, that's where we are and hopefully you'll see that on Saturday and another thing I've noticed in this league I hate the term holding midfielder but I know it's the one that's used it just seems like such a 
a waste of someone's talent just calling someone a holding midfielder. Maybe a quarterback position perhaps is a better... But the teams that we've come up against have all had very, very good ones. Um, Marlon Pack at Cardiff, uh, Romain Sawyers for West Brom, Barry Bannum in, at times on Tuesday night. Is that the sort of area of the opposition you want to restrict getting the ball? Is that why James Collins sometimes comes deeper? Yeah, well, the last thing you want is that switch and that free man. I think the other night Barry Bannon dropped into that. It was Sam Hutchison was the defense, the, the holding midfield. I couldn't work out who it was because their numbers were just you couldn't tell from the, the upper tier. No. It was bro. But technically, you have to deal with that as well because it can be awkward. And I think we dealt with it really, really well. Um, and there's one thing: what you're doing off the ball is another thing. You can have a completely different style of play on it. And I think we executed that really, really well. I think Jacob Butterfield uh, for us has been. Um, playing in that position for the first time in his career uh, I think he's been excellent on the ball I think he's improving off the ball you need to have a look at some of the long ball threats of Fletcher where he just got in the way and he just put his body in the line allowed Matty and Sonny to head it so again that's a work in progress uh, I would have, um, before we took Jacob I would have loved to have had a, um, a holding midfield player a defensive midfield player that's strong in every single area we couldn't get that. It was very difficult this summer. But I've been really pleased the way Jacob's adapted to his new role. And the other thing, of course, that we've really got is a lot of possession of the ball. I mean, some of our possession stats this season have been wonderful. I think we had 65% of the ball at Cardiff, dominated against West Brom. I think we had more of the ball on Tuesday night, although depending on where you read, some stats sites say we didn't, but my own eyes tell me that we did. Yeah. And to have that so soon in this league, that has to be a testament to the players that we've got here and the style that, that they're adopting well we did we had 54% they had 46 the other night um, and I think we had maybe 80 passes more than them setting off we were, it was, there was a huge difference uh, in um, in possession but like, I don't want to get obsessed with possession gives you a platform to play and it gives you a control in a game and then it's what you do with that possession and the first thing psychologically was for that possession to give us a, a platform and then now we're at the point of what you did, what, what we're going to do with that possession and um, that's where the work is that's where the work's been today that's where the work is tomorrow and going forward but we are really 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 close to winning a game of football mm. and um, until that happens that's where the work will be when you when you go into a game crime you obviously look at the opposition as you said do you look at it tactically and, and, and set your side up to counteract them and see what works against them or have you got a set um, pattern that you want to play and try and impose on that opposition I think a mixture of both um, obviously there's individuals at this level with real quality as well so you have to be aware for example Kyle Edwards and Matty Phillips we made sure you, we were, our full box were never left 1v1 in the game against them. I think there's one thing, um, seeing what an opposition uh, brings to the table, what their strengths are, and making sure that you set up in order to deny them strengths. But then when it's your turn to have the ball, you've got to be yourself as well. And you your shape might slightly change at times. Um, but I think by and large... Um, we've uh, we've nullified the opposition and we've been ourselves to an extent uh, on the ball um, we just need a little bit more now going forward which I think we're ready to give 
you brought a number of players in uh, in the summer ahead of the season. Uh, one I'd like to ask you on is our new goalkeeper, Simon Saluga, record signing, who I think, uh, obviously, you know, the error against Middlesbrough side has been a positive um, addition to the squad, particularly with the style that he plays with the defenders and things like that. But he is obviously still learning the English game. You've got experience of players coming from abroad into your sides. Roughly how long does that sort of transition take or is it the in, up to the individual himself? I think it's always up to the individual. Simon's a very, very intense guy and very focused, very single-minded. Uh, and why not? He's, you know, he's been called up today for the Croatian national team again. So it's got him so far. Uh, but we've asked him to open his mind up a little bit. He's got a He's got Kevin Dearden, who's um, a British goalkeeping coach, who's been brilliant with them, uh, making them understand the, f- the physicality uh, of the British league. And then he's got Imanol, who's a, um, he's from Basque Country, he's a Spanish goalkeeping coach, who's been working with them on the technical aspect of the game. And um, he's starting to trust, he's starting to work, he's starting to open his mind up to... Um, other methods of work and I think we saw in his variety of his distribution on Wednesday night uh, Tuesday night against Sheffield Wednesday how far he's come the complete performance hasn't been there we're talking about a half a yard uh, the other night which I've spoke about there was four other errors after his throwout that led to a goal not just not just one um, so I'm, I'm, uh, I, I, look at, I look at the guy's equipment and he's good size, he's got great mentality. He's made, he's showed in the games he make, he can, he's capable of making world-class saves. Mm. I think technically on the ball he's got a range of passing, long and short. And then the guys come from Croatia, so I've said to one or two people previously, if us three go to Croatia now and cannot speak the language and the... Uh, the pace of the game is really slow compared to the helter skelter of the championship. We would all suffer with it. We would all find it difficult. Um, and I think, bearing that in mind, he hasn't found it difficult. I think that we're yet to see uh, a full performance, but he's so close to it. He's he's done. He's grew with every game. He wants to learn, and uh, he reflects really the rest of the group. We're, re- we're we're really really close to getting that perfect performance. And when that perfect performance comes, will that also filter through the side like a win will filter through the team? You know, just give that extra confidence to everyone? Uh, absolutely. That's the only thing missing now. Um, as I've said, we need to be more potent in the final third and we need to win a game of football in the Championship. Once that happens, we're capable of anything. So I'm not, I don't want to make any bold predictions at all because you need to measure it you need to it's a process we're in it needs to be we need to grow we need to constantly add to what we've got as a team and individuals and so far I know we haven't won in the championship we've done that in every single game you know we have to get real eh? we, we've played we've played Middlesbrough at home who were in the Premier League two years ago West Brom at home who were in the Premier League 15 months ago Cardiff away, who were in the Premier League three months ago, and Sheffield Wednesday, who in, we've got my absolute respect, is a huge football club, huge yeah. football club. We've competed in every single game, no question. We haven't won. We need to win a game of football, and that's that's the next step for us. And players know it, staff know it, and let's be positive. I think that wins around the corner, 
and we've got to um, until we get that first win we've got to we've got to keep uh, being positive and then hopefully when we get it we'll move forward I think you know I've seen talking to opposition fans um, the general feedback I'm getting for those from the players are that we are a good side and we'll be okay so I would agree with you I think that will give us that extra impetus and confidence and raise their heads. So, but as a group of players, they're not letting their heads drop and they're just determined to go on and get that win for us. Then, Graham, they are Tony. And they've like you know, when remember when you drove a car for the first time mm. and the clutch felt strange and the brake felt strange and the accelerator was you didn't know where to put your foot. We're a little bit. We started the season a little bit like that. There was a few changes that needed to be made tactically. Obviously, we're bringing new players in, and then when you, any human being facing any kind of change, it takes a little bit of time. It takes a little bit of time to understand it and adapt to it. You feel very, very uncomfortable at times, and we've been through all of that. And psychologically, we are so close to a win. And the minute we get that win, as, I've, as I keep saying, we won't look back. It's a steep learning curve, isn't it? It is, and it's a harsh learning curve because uh, this league's very high profile as well. You only had to watch the coverage of the championship last night. It's, it's a Premier League two. Sky have got total control over it, and that's something else that nobody speaks about, the, how high profile the league is with the greatest respect compared to League One. So there's not just on the field demands of the the players is off the field demands and I think we've coped really really well we just need to win a game of football and that's that's where we are it's Saturday or Tuesday or next Saturday we need to win a game of football and everybody everybody has got to push towards that um, not stop until we get it be relentless with it you know we had a, a bit of a down day yesterday we, were, we spent four or five hours watching us and then watching Barnsley and that's how it has to be and we need we need and I know the players have done it the players have faced every single step and the supporters need to continue with the support the supporters have been brilliant until we get that first win we've got to be um, we've got to be uh, relentless with it you mentioned the supporters then one of the best nights Kenilworth Road, Kenilworth Road has had in a long time was the Middlesbrough game mm, at definitely. the start of the season place was rocking like you know those of us that have supported the club for a long time can only remember from from the old days what was it like to be in the centre of all of that? Uh, privilege um, absolute privilege I feel privileged to be manager of this football club with such great tradition such great fan base uh, I can't I, I, I can't uh, tell you but also a massive responsibility. You know, I, I want to do well for the club. I know where the club's been, obviously, and I know where I wanted to go. And it's step by step. It's a, it's, it's a, sometimes it can be really frustrating, but you've got to try and uh, measure on its own merits where we are. That night at Kenilworth Road was a celebration of, um, I think since 2008, of where the club had been and where they'd got to. Um, one thing's atmosphere and then another thing is understanding the game from supporters I've only ever been at Anfield where I felt that the supporters understood the game and it comes from success when your team is successful you know if you're patient you understand you stay with them they're going to get it right and I felt that the first time with any club I've been involved with I felt that at Kenilworth Road that night I had a group of supporters who understood the situation 
have never lost sight of uh, the reality of where the club have been and understood the league we're in. And it was so refreshing to get supporters uh, with that kind of empathy. And the, and the atmosphere on the night was, was electric. But because of the understanding of the supporters we got back in the game, I've got no question in my mind about that. The character of the players and everything else, but the supporters and players is, a, is a, such an important uh, connection and we've got it here. One of the things I think that I particularly enjoyed that night was after their second goal was the actual reaction to Simon Slugger. I thought that was fantastic and you could see he got a real lift from that. And I was impressed because when the goal went in you could see that he was thumping the post and you could see how much it got to him. Yeah. And I think, you know, you, that passion and everything is great. It's, it's so good to see that yeah. in him. And I, I'm... I'm uh, very impressed with him, actually. I yeah. mean, when you consider just before that, the world-class save he made. My God, this guy's brilliant. Yeah. He's so athletic as well. Yeah. Um, yeah, I forgot your question. Now. <laughs> <laughs> I think there was one, actually. I think it was just a statement. No, but, yeah, we're, we're, talk, we're, we're talking about that night, eh? and I think it was, a, it was a, a night that Luton Town arrived back home. Um, and... Um, but we just need to build on that now, you know. We really, really do, and uh, hopefully it'll start on Saturday at Barnes. Absolutely. Uh, just one last thing before we, um, we let you go. We don't get to talk to too many people that have got World Cup medals uh, to hand. Just what was that experience like? And, and in particular, the two games against England, being an Englishman yourself, was, it, was that weird? Was it, was it strange? I know you had a job to do, but, you know. Well, I started life as a Newcastle supporter. And then all of a sudden at Wigan and Everton, you're competing against Newcastle to stay in the league and then get in Europe in, in Everton's case. So then you sort of um, lose a little bit of empathy with Newcastle because you have to uh, protect the club you're working for and firstly you fight for your family. And then I always had England as support. And I sort of, it was, it was, I'm a proud, proud Englishman. And I do the national anthem thing and then all of a sudden I'm Belgium's first assistant coach and uh, we get drawn against England in the group stage of the World Cup inevitable I guess <laughs> yeah now when you look back um, the first two games uh, Panama and Tunisia you know you, you, I'm, I'm no different to you Kevin you too I'm a working class lad from a working class family all of a sudden I'm at a World Cup and you play in England in Kaliningrad and I know Gareth really, really well. We did a pro license together. And it was the strangest night I've ever had in football. And you're talking about who really wanted to win because everybody knew that the, the best route was losing. So we'd coached a group of highly talented, highly driven, uh, elite footballers to be nothing short of winners. It was very difficult for us to back off and say, actually, lads, tonight might be best if we don't win um, so we didn't and I don't think it was only Adnan Janna's I didn't understand the situation when he scored so then obviously you beat England and then um, I got great memories from from the Japan game I think one of my favourite games at the tournament that was the was it was just well it was just ridiculous just sitting watching it at home you know how you were seconds from losing to well, I can only imagine the euphoria of winning. Yeah, we're in Rostov on Don. People don't talk about a time difference. Really, really warm. Um, 
we obviously flew the day before the game all of a sudden you're 2-0 down against Japan it's like end of the world me and Roberto spoke made a couple of substitutions um, genuinely it's what happened turned the game Marouane came on in particular and then Nasser Chadley and you win the game 3-2 and you just <laughs> the feeling's incredible you're playing Brazil in the quarter final of the World Cup uh, in Kazan and you, we had to fly back to Moscow got back that was our base got back at 6 in the morning and we had two days to prepare and then we were training and flying we had such an important tactical session remember we play as really two days after a game you can't do anything so on the third day when we're training and, play, and, and flying we had the most critical tactical session there was a 15 minute pocket where physically we could do anything and that prepared us very similar system to what we're playing at the minute at Luton for the game against Brazil and then you're in Kazan in the quarterfinal of the World Cup and I'm from Gateshead and you have to pinch yourself and you beat Brazil the, the most famous renowned uh, World Cup winners and you beat them 2-1 and you I look at Roberto and look at Thierry and Thierry had been through it as a player but you're thinking how the hell have we done this and we'll go to play France in 15 degrees so we'll, we'll lose 15 degrees in uh, St Petersburg temperature completely different night kick off it was quite cold actually on the night completely different environment uh, France I think benefited from losing the Euros to Portugal they learned once they scored from a set well it was a set piece but it was an own goal from Marouane everybody thinks some Titi scorer came off Marouane's head and his body position was a little bit half out that's the margin so yeah. people don't ever talk to me about fine detail and what it matters because it cost us a World Cup final and then they defended the game really well and managed the game really well and saw the game out even with our talent and then the next thing you're playing back in St Petersburg three days later you're playing England in a third and fourth place playoff and the highest finish for the Belgium national team was fourth in the 1986 World Cup and the boys knew they would only get respect if we finished third and we obviously in the end beat, beat England 2-0 again a, such a strange day my family was there and I knew it was my last game for Belgium I knew I was going to leave I wanted to get back to the UK I wanted to be a manager um, I knew I was leaving Roberto which after 12 years was really really difficult mm -hmm. and um, you beat England 2-0 and then journalists and other people tell you that you're the first Englishman since 1966 to win a, a medal for your country and it, it really does go and puts everything in perspective because I contributed massively uh, to what happened and the satisfaction you have was incredible it lasted 24 hours because Darren was on the phone and um, I was had to go basically within a week straight in at West Brom and start a championship campaign everybody else had a nice six week holiday and um, and that's how it was that, that was my memories but uh, I've got a I've got a bronze medal at home I won't tell you where but yeah. that nobody can take away from me and there's not many people achieve it and um, I think uh, I think I've earned it through the years 
Absolutely. Hopefully that medal is um, going to get some more silverware alongside it during your time at Luton. We've got absolute faith that you're going to take this club yeah. further forward uh, both this season and in the seasons to come. We wish you the best of luck on Saturday. That win isn't far away. I think yeah. we're all well aware of that and we look forward to seeing what this team's going to do once we've got that confidence of a win behind us. Um, but thanks for giving us Not some of your... <laughs> thanks for your time and uh, we look forward to seeing you on Saturday. Tony, what did you take most out of out of that chat? I mean, very, very good talk, a very nice man. Could listen to him for a while, oh, like you said. Um, but actually, you probably come away from that interview, if he, wasn't, if he was in two minds beforehand, really comfortable with the safe hands that the club's in at the minute. Um, my, my, yeah, my first impression on meeting him today was um, absolute gent. But you... you when he was talking um, very friendly came across as a nice guy but you could see underneath that that there's there's a steely determination the impression I got was he knows what he wants Um, he knows how to go about getting it and uh, I I'm left with the overall impression that I think the future's good for us he just needs time James, he knows you on first name terms. What have you, um, what have you made of him? I just agree with his footballing philosophy and the way he talks about it. Um, he's not getting downhearted about these defeats, and he's right that every single game they're getting a little bit better. And you've got to really look to that. It's not. There's, there's no sense of panic stations whatsoever from anybody, not from him. Oh, you should sit around me in the crowd. There's <laughs> panic stations when they're passing the ball about the back, I can tell you. Did you find James? He comes across as very grounded. Yes. He's not got a massive ego. No. Um, and he, 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 he talks very well. And uh, as, as both me and Kev said, I, I, I was sorry when the 30 minutes was over because I could sit there and listen to the guy talking about football. He knows his stuff. Yeah. You know, and, and, and a lot of what he's saying is really interesting. And he, he's also, to, you know, able to give you insights. Well, that, that's one of the things that I, that's one of the things I do enjoy because from a journalistic point of view, when they're playing a team, you want to know or try and find out what he thinks and knows about that team. And he'll tell you. He won't go into like the detailed plan of tactics or what he's going to... Which you wouldn't expect him to. No, I wouldn't expect him to do that. But, but he will tell you. Whereas if you ask Nathan Jones about, say, this weekend, if he was still at the club, uh, what do you think about Barnsley? He would say, well, it's not about Barnsley, it's about us. We're concentrating on ourselves. And it's just like the dullest answer in the world because they come with threats, they come with weaknesses, and you want to know about them. Because we've not been in this division for a long time, so you know we only know what we could see on um, on the TV and that. But he he's been out to games, he's scouted them himself. He's got Mick Arford going, got other scouts going, and then they have a dossier on what that team can do and how they can exploit them. That's exactly as you'd expect. But you just want to know a little bit about what that is, and it's nice to hear that. Very fair assessment on opponents as well. Mm. I found with him, you know, yeah, and I agree with you about Nathan when you turn. And, and, and you said it's it, it's about us. No, there's two teams there, and you know, yeah, we're going to be aware of their weakness and scouting them out, and they're doing exactly the same to us. Yep. Oh yeah, absolutely. You know, so, I mean, you look at that Bielsa press conference from last season where he just rode Derby into the ground. Yeah. That's the kind of level of 
analysis that teams are doing on opposition in this in this to be I mean, he had a he could well go and uh, have a little uh, peek at what they're doing at the brace just to have to go up uh, yeah, if, Park if, Street if you could be driving, just, yeah. yeah just be driving down a slip road there and yeah. uh, well, to be honest with you Kev I look at it and I think you know the way it's going for that person at Stoke City I think um you know, Lawrence Hutchins would be a good fit there for their next manager. <laughs> Ironically, it's Leeds against Stoke on um, Saturday, isn't it? I think with, with Graham Jones as well, you've got a different philosophy as a manager. Uh, Kenilworth Road, <coughs> previous managers, 99% of them. At the end of the game, the players come up to the Kenilworth Road, applaud the fans, managers come with them. I've noticed Graham Jones don't tend to do that. And I think that's because he knows he hasn't got the football at Luton the way he wants it. Mm. And he's not ready to do that yet. He's not ready to come and applaud the fans because he probably feels that he's not giving the fans exactly what he wants. He's full of praise for the fans. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. At the end of that interview, yeah. But I think there was a piece in the summer just before he um, became manager that it was on a coaching website where he said, it's not about me, it's about the players. That's the impression that I've got and when that, he walked that's, he does do. yeah. yeah. It's not, there's no disrespect there. We have a little clap no, no, and he'll no. walk off, but it's about the players. And I think he's mentioned in a couple of press conferences that you've been to how he takes great pleasure in improving players, doesn't he? That's his, that's his big thing in football, improving the players that he's got, no yeah. matter what the standard that they're at, yeah. which is how he can work with Kevin De Bruyne one summer. Harry Cornick for the want of a better. I, th- I think that's the modern coach this. now. You just got to look at how. Uh, and this is the extreme example. Is just Pep Guardiola. It's like he's not there, um, you know, patting himself on the back. He's he's getting Raheem Sterling on the halfway line after a game and telling him what he should have done here and there. Well, and tell not, not just after any game though. After they beat Watford six 0 in the cup final, yes. you know. I mean, let's, <laughs> yeah. let's 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 not downplay it too much, you know. <laughs> You're absolutely right, though. I'll tell you one thing that came across to me today, and in the interviews he's, he's before, he did, and it's, it's a word that's just popped in the mind, it's integrity. Hmm. I mean, right from the word go, how he was offered the job, and he wouldn't, and he, he's, he told us that today, how he wouldn't, he, he felt, he was excited about Luton, he was thinking about Luton, but um, he had committed to West Brom. Yeah, he might share his surname with someone else, but he doesn't share the disloyalty of that person, does he? No. No. And that was one of the things that certainly impressed me. You know, the fact that he, he, he'd got that integrity. He, he, he didn't want to leave them in the lurch in the middle of a transfer window, uh, even though he'd got the job at Luton. And, you know, I've seen comments to say he turned Luton down and then when he, he lost his job at West Brom he came crawling back to Luton yeah and no no it, it was, that wasn't the case was at all that, as, as, he's, as he's just confirmed to us isn't he and uh, yeah. fair play to him I think yeah I think we're all looking forward to seeing what Graham Jones can do over the uh, next nine months and beyond yeah. let's wrap things up then gents uh, we'll wrap it up with Trust Business Tony and the transfer window might be closed for Luton Town Football Club but we made a signing of our own we um, mentioned in the last podcast that Nicky Middleton has come along as our secretary and been appointed in that role we've now appointed um, a new position the marketing officer where Marianne Broadbent has taken up that role 
uh, just welcome Marianne and uh, give a few thoughts on what she's going to bring to the party. Um, yes, I mean, Marianne actually applied for the secretary's role and um, it, it, it was a very hard decision between Nikki and Marianne. Um, both could have done that role equally as well. It, it, it was just that Nikki had probably a bit more experience in that line, but you know, we looked at it and, and, and we thought that, do you know what, we really need to get both these ladies on board. Um, Marianne has a lot of experience in marketing. I mean, she ran her own marketing company in, in New York and she's a Luton Town supporter. Um, used to go to games with her dad and uh, mad keen to get involved and so enthusiastic and I, I think she's going to help us take the trust to the next level she's got a lot of experience and expertise in an area that we are severely lacking um, we want to grow our organisation um, I've always said we've got to be more professional we've got to get to the next level um, we need to increase our, our membership um, and uh, I think she's got all the, the nous and the, the skills to help us do that. I mean, I'm so impressed that, you know, the meetings that I've had with her, she's been taking copious notes. I mean, she must have filled a couple of notebooks already and she's, she said, I want to get things straight, I want to look at things. And I said, you know, I'm hoping you've got ideas, man. Oh, yeah, she said, there's certainly things I can do here. Uh, there's a lot of potential for the trust. So um, I'm looking forward immensely to working with her and Nikki, and uh, I think they're fantastic additions to our team. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, welcome on board, Marianne. She was co-opted on to our board at our last uh, meeting, as highlighted on um, on our website last week. And like you say, Tony, I'm sure she'll be a massive asset to the trust. Uh, just one other thing with regards to the membership: anyone who is currently a member of the trust is entitled to one of our unique um, pin badges. We are trying to give as many out as possible um, between now and probably the middle of October. Uh, we will come up with a couple more ways and times and dates and things where you can pick yours up. But rest assured, whether it's collecting them in person or we post them to you, you will get your pin badge. But just keep an eye on the website or our social media feeds for the next couple of opportunities to get those. So that the more that we can hand out and save with a bit of postage costs, that's um, that's currently the aim, isn't it, Tony? I'd, I'd appeal to fans out there, you know, if you're not a member of uh, the trust. You know, please join up. I mean, it's less than 25p a week to be a member. Um, you know, come along and, and, and have a say in, in, in your club. You know, we've got um, the shareholding in the club. We own the image rights uh, for the, the club colours, the club name, the club badge. You know, and uh, especially with the new ground on the horizon, you know, we're going to be talking to the owners, um, you know, about support's involvement and... Uh, you know, protecting the ground from uh, possible future rogue owners because of 2020, have always said they're not going to always be there. So, you know, the more members we have, the bigger our voices and the more power we've got. So, get involved. You just have to look at the situation happening to Bury. By the time this comes out, that club might not exist, really. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I'm sure we'll cover that. In I mean, supporters are brilliant in bad times. We all pull together and everything, but we still need to keep that going, that momentum going. And, you know, so we're, we're there and we're ready to go. 
just in case. Yeah, absolutely. Um, that feels like a good time to wrap things up. Uh, chaps, thanks for joining me on this episode of the podcast. We'll be back somewhere in the international break. Uh, keep an eye out on all of our feeds and things uh, for the exact date and time when you can expect the next episode. But hopefully between now and then, Luton have got six points, or at least that first elusive win. And who knows, maybe even progression in the Carabao Cup. We've seen a couple of teams at our level go pretty deep in that competition, and there's no reason why we can't do likewise. So uh, here's to an exciting couple of weeks. And, um, well, like I say, thanks for joining us, and hope you've enjoyed, to li- enjoyed listening. Cheers. Cheers, Kev. Cheers, Kev.